the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Acts chapter 22 is an amazing chapter. All of them are. But we have Paul sharing his testimony, verses 1 through 21. And when he mentions that the gospel is good for the Gentiles, verse 22 said, they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices, and this is what they said. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into there, and verse 24 is where we'll start up today. The commander of the, uh, of the Romans had to take care of Paul. And uh, so we're going to start there today. If you have your Bibles, we hope you'll open them. If it's where you can and follow along, it's going to be an amazing journey, the end of 22 and chapter 23. Alex, uh, again, the Apostle Paul, here's what I found out about him. He gets out of trouble to get into trouble because mm. he preaches truth. And uh, they didn't like it, did they? <laughs> well, Paul knew that preaching the gospel was not a popularity contest, and to this day it still isn't, is it? It is not, and uh, so we're going to do our best to be faithful, and I, I find this so, so great. They're going to scourge him, but then in verse 28 he says that he tells them uh, that he's a Roman citizen, yes. or in verse 25, I should say, and uh, in verse 28 he ups the commander, and he says, the commander says, I bought my citizenship at a great price. How did you get yours? He said, man, I was born a Roman citizen. Mm. Uh, he, yeah. he, I, I don't mean to say this in any negative way, but Ro, uh, Paul upped him that time a little bit, didn't he? <laughs> well, he, he really did, and, and Paul's Roman citizenship was really to his advantage, and uh, occasionally when it was necessary, he would... He would play this card, and I've often thought about this, Acts uh, twenty-two twenty-five. I would love to see this acted out like, <laughs> and put on film, yeah. and the expression of the centurion. Verse 25, as they bound him with thongs, so he's tied up with these straps of leather, getting ready to be just horribly beaten. Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, and this, boy, this is a rhetorical question. In other words, a question which has a very obvious answer. Paul asks, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And the centurion, his face probably fell. With the, the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, are you a Roman? Paul says, uh, Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum, I obtained this freedom. In other words, I, I had to buy it, as different societies have done at times of history. Paul said, yes, well, I was freeborn. You're looking at a natural-born Roman citizen. So um, talking about a countersuit, if you would, it, in other words, it is not lawful to beat a Roman, and certainly not one that hadn't been tried and convicted of a crime. So Paul Paul was brave and Paul was brilliant. He really was, and he knew what to do, when to do it, 
And uh, he knew that he was going to Jerusalem and it would befall him. He had had warning after warning after warning that he would be in danger. But he said, I am going to Jerusalem. I, this is what God's laid on my heart. And God, ha- God could see further than Jerusalem. Let me make this statement because we're about to head on another journey to another town in, uh, in chapter 23, which is going to put him on a journey somewhere else. But Paul was insistent on going to Jerusalem. But because he was insistent on going to Jerusalem, God's got him somewhere else for him to go. You know, Alex, so sometimes don't you have to go to a place in order to find out where you need to go? And and that's exactly what happened here with Paul. Well, yeah, and you see that on these journeys. And so, um, yeah, God directs the steps, God directs the path, and ultimately, like you and I talked about earlier, you and I were recording, and uh, Smith Wigglesworth, the great evangelist of days past, he said, if you put God's uh, will as your will and seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, you'll always be in God's way when you uh, have sought his will. Verse 29, then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. In other words, he should have been cross-examined, but they left. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that, he, that Paul was a Roman because he had bound him. So this chief captain, uh-oh, I'm the one that tied that guy up. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, what Paul's going to have is an opportunity to share his testimony, but even more importantly, the gospel story. And as always, he does that, doesn't he? He does, but here there's going to be such confusion. Uh, he, he looked at them, and he said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. The high priest didn't like that. He didn't like what he heard. So the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him mm. on the mouth. Paul said, now this is unusual for Paul. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law and do not command me to be struck contrary to the law. And then those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of ruler of your people. Now, mm-hmm. Alex, again, hear Paul. Uh, uh, again, this is kind of unusual. Verse 3 is kind of unusual. Uh, I I'm not certainly think he was in the flesh when he did this. Uh, I think it says something about Ananias how could a high priest act like Ananias was acting? I think it says more about Ananias and and his character and his position than it does Paul. That's my opinion. What do you think? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. Um, verse 3 seems like Paul is very bold. Maybe even, you know, this is kind of an outburst uh, that is— a little bit less of the spirit and more of the flesh, but Paul seems to be contrite and repentant right away because as far back as Exodus 22, God's word had said, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. And even even now, Bert, um, 
politicians that I disagree with a lot of times. We can have spirited debate and disagreement, but, but we shouldn't digress to what's called an ad hominem attack. Um, disagreement doesn't mean that we you know, speak slanderously or use curse words or anything like that. But Paul says in verse 5, Look, I didn't know he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of your people, Exodus twenty two twenty eight. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. Okay, so he knew the Sadducees and the Pharisees disagreed. Well, they disagreed about a, a number of things, but one was the afterlife, didn't they? They really did. And notice what Paul does. Regardless of how he says this, he observes what's taking place. They know He knows their intent. Their intent is to put an end to Paul. So he saw a way to drive a wedge in that group of people who at this point in time are united. But he is able to bring a wedge concerning them to divide them, and it is about the resurrection. Alex, have yeah. you heard why they're called Sadducees? Uh, tell me. Because they don't believe in the resurrection, and they're sad, you see. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Th- that's I, that's not original. That's not original. I don't know when I first heard it. But anyway, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angelic. Also, yeah. they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. They did not take the prophets or any. And so they were they were divided at this point in time. And, yes. and Paul is able to use that to his advantage, isn't he? Well, he really is. You know, look at verse 8 of uh, Acts 23, 8. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. So the word is really empiricist. Uh, empirical means this physical world, and empiricism, empiricism would say that all that that's here is just this physical world. Do you know, in a way, Sadducees still exist? Bert, I was sharing the gospel about two years ago with some Jewish people, in fact, um, the rabbi of a temple and a few of his parishioners, and we were talking about being saved and, and having your sins forgiven. And very quickly, some of these Jewish people, my heart just broke for for these poor souls. But they said, you know, we don't really believe there is an afterlife. And so um, they they had an idea of morality and ethical living and going to the temple to, you know, I guess, I don't know why, but n- no salvation necessary because there is no afterlife, they said. And I thought, wow. I'm talking to, in a way, some Sadducees. But let let me say, folks, there most certainly is a resurrection. There's a resurrection unto life for those that have believed in Jesus. There's a resurrection unto condemnation and eternal death for those that don't know Jesus. So, But Paul is very wise here because he knows if, if... if the people are united in destroying him, one of the best ways to hopefully avert that is to divide these people, and uh, they'll maybe turn against each other, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Have you ever heard the enemy of my enemy is my friend? I heard that from Dinesh D'Souza. <laughs> okay. Here's what he finds out right now. 
Uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees are both his enemy. But when Paul finds out a way to put that wedge, look what the Pharisees do, do here. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes who were the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. <laughs> and when there arose a great dissension, the commander fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces. The Pharisees were saying, come on over here. We're going to protect you. And the Sadducees were pulling them away, wanting to destroy him. But here it is, uh, the, the Pharisees and enemies uh, and the Sadducees, they didn't like each other concerning, I would say, the resurrection. And Paul found a way to put them mm. at, against one another, and it brings freedom to himself. So, Alex, Amen. here's Paul doing it again, finding deliverance through his wisdom and the knowledge of God. We'll be back with more of Acts chapter 23 right after this break. And they began to let us pass out the Truth For Youth Bibles to our high school students and middle school students. We saw so many lives changed and seeds planted in the hearts of our students. Also, other Christian students began to learn about their religious rights and become more bold, and they began to carry their Bibles to school. Thank you so much, Truth For Youth Bible, for helping my vision for my high school become a reality. Wow. That is so exciting and so encouraging. The Truth For Youth Bibles, folks. Um, donate a Bible or a case of Bibles. Let me ask you to do this, folks. We had Tim Todd on yesterday who... Um, seriously, he's just one of my favorite evangelists. But the number, think about this number, write it down, maybe 833-574-1600, 833-574-1600. And Bert, I think people need to call between like 8 to 4.30 Central Time, or you can go to truthforyouth.com, truth, F-O-R, truthforyouth.com. Bert is just so... Uh, I think it's very reasonable, uh, $25 to provide Bibles, $50 will provide 25 copies of the, the Bible, and the thing about it, these Truth For Youth Bibles, like we talked about yesterday, they're in a beautiful cover, they've got part of the gospel story uh, in a comic book form, but really it's that doesn't do it justice, it's what's called a graphic novel, pictures, text, absolutely faithful to the gospel message, and kids love these Bibles. Bert, when I'm at certain youth events, I'll see some teens will have a Truth For Youth Bible, and so we always love to partner. We do it once a year with Tim Todd and Revival Fires Ministries, and uh, did did he say yesterday like over a million young people have gotten a Bible through Truth For Youth uh, Week? And isn't that wonderful? It is. 1.1 million have received the Bibles. 25,000 have received Christ after reading the Bible. And just talking about that graphic novels, they hit things that the youth are facing today. Uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's right on. It not only helps them to understand, but for the Christians, it gives them an answer of the faith that is in them that they can defend what the Bible says. And so here you have... Hope and answers. That's awesome. When you combine those two together, it gives hope 
and it has answers. And so Truth for Youth Bible Week, it's going on all week. We want to promote that. And again, that number, 833-574-1600, or go online at truthforyouth.com, and that four is F-O-R. So we hope that will happen. Well, Alex, with that in mind, we're going to slip back into Acts chapter 23, and Paul has gotten those Pharisees on his side for a moment, uh, for just a moment. Uh, they, they said, okay, we got to defend him against those Sadducees, and they do. But verse 10 says, and when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him by force from among them, and bring him to the barracks. Now, Mm. listen to verse 11. Oh, I love it. This is one of the great things in the book of Acts that Paul experiences. But the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. This is the reason I came to Jerusalem, so I could go to Jerusalem on my way to Rome. Now, Alex, I uh, the promise came after he had gotten to Jerusalem, but he was convinced, just as he was convinced to go into Macedonia after the vision that he had from the Lord, the Macedonia call, he has a word from the Lord saying, you're going to Rome as well. Man, mm, God, wow. God knows when to speak at the right time and what to say, doesn't he? He really does. He really does. And, you know, folks, I, I honestly believe God— has a plan for each and every life, and you can know, it doesn't matter what you are facing or what you think you're up against, when God says he's going to take care of you, my goodness, he's going to take care of you. Now, uh imagine 40 men who say, look, I will not rest until you're dead. Imagine this, it says in verse 12, when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together, and we're going to learn these are more than 40 men, and they bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Isn't this something? Now, that's that's a bold statement, because you can't go but a few days without drinking water. But they made this conspiracy, and they came in to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse, that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Uh, can you imagine um, making a evil vow like that, and then uh, we, we want to be on record, let's go tell the preacher. <laughs> no, I mean, these are evil people, aren't they? They really are, and they've got it down pat. We're going to tell the commander that we want to ask him some questions, inquire, but we really want to kill him before he comes near. If, if we can fool the commander... But notice what happened in verse 16. Again, Mm -hmm. from now on, remember what God told Paul that night in chapter 23, verse 11, you will bear witness of me in Rome. Keep that in mind. So here's what happens, verse 16. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him, brought him to the commander, and said, This is, quote, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, 
went aside and asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him, and now they're ready, waiting for the promise from you. Now, this young man, Alex, at the right place, at the right time, with the right relationship. Seems like God's got his people at the right place, doesn't it? He really does. And so this, you know, Paul's sister's son, so I'm guessing this is Paul's nephew, right? That's it. It and, is. And so it was interesting, verse 16, that Paul's sister's son overheard this and was willing to intervene. Like you say, uh, God has his people everywhere. Uh, verse uh, 22 says, So the chief captain then let the young man depart, charged him, See thou tell no man that you have showed these things to me. In other words, don't tell anybody. Um, confidentiality was, was just very key here. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, uh, seventy, and spearmen two hundred, at the third hour of the night, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And, you know, what's interesting is um, they're having this armed entourage to get Paul safely out, so these 40 men are not going to be able to kill Paul, but it's actually going to be uh, another ministry opportunity to share the gospel, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, he does. He doesn't waste anything. Now, listen, I majored in math for two years, so I think I can do this. 200 plus 70 plus 200. Let me see. 470. I'm telling you, I think this commander is taking this seriously, and he's ready for those 40 men, and uh, and he's not just going to do it right out in front of him. He's going to get him out of town without all the, uh, you know, everybody knowing about it. But they have Paul at the center of this. Why? Because Paul, again, let's look at it. He's a Roman citizen. So God used Paul's Roman citizenship for his protection to fulfill God's promise that he was going to go to Rome. So he Mm. uses his nephew. He uses uh, his Roman citizenship. I would say Paul is the right man for this job, Alex. Amen. You know, I was thinking about, um, I don't know, you know, it says more than 40 men had made this oath to not eat or drink till they've killed Paul. Was it 41? Was it 45? Well, I don't know. It just says more than 40. But so this um, commander gets six times that many people. You know, yeah, he's ready. Uh, he's got. He, he doesn't want it. He doesn't. He's now. Let, let's think. Let me. I, I'm interrupting, but he had already messed up by putting him in, you know, bonds, and then he was yeah. messed up. Is going to uh, beat him without a trial, without a hearing, and he wasn't going to mess up again. You know what I mean? That's true. Now this entourage of armed guards. He, there's going to be a, a letter that goes with him, a paperwork, you might say. Uh, he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius. Uh, Lysias, under the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greetings. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And what I would have known the cause 
Wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth before their counsel, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or bonds. So um, he's, he's helping Felix understand, look, this is trumped up false charges. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to the to his accusers, also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the, the castle. And when they had come to Caesarea, they delivered the epistle to the governor and presented Paul also before him. You know, we associate the word epistle, a letter, from Paul to the churches. Well, here's an epistle written on Paul's behalf, isn't it? It really is. The, now, Alex, y- yes. do you find this interesting? This is a letter in Roman uh, government that Luke had access to that he would put into his letter, the book of the the God, the Acts, Acts of the Apostles, and it is direct quote from what he had. Again, we're talking about who God uses. He used Paul, a Roman citizen. He used uh, his nephew. He did all those things. And now he uses Luke and his ability to write this great, great book that we have and to have access to this letter that was written years before Luke would start gathering this information. Now, again, could it be that he was there with him and he got a copy or could he have seen it and copied it down so he could put it in here? I don't know, but it verifies the word of God to me that this is a, I mean, this is a, a government letter written and Luke has uh, the advantage of putting it in this, this, the book of Acts. I, I just, it, I don't know if it does that for everybody or not, but it really increases my faith in the word of God. You know? Amen. Amen. Well, you know, Felix is this governor of Caesarea that uh, Paul is going to appear before. And uh, you're right, these details, they show how meticulous Luke was, and also guided by the Holy Spirit. These are the words that God wanted us to have in, in this part of the Holy Scripture. But they go to Caesarea, they give this to Felix, and when the governor had read the letter, he asked what province of what province he was when he understood that he was of Cilicia. He says, verse 35, I I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall, safe and sound. So here's the thing. These accusers, uh, they're going to find out that their false charges are not going to carry weight in the eyes and ears of somebody who's actually in the authority to make a decision. It's pretty neat. Now, another thing, I, I'm trying to, uh, I, I just love this. It just means a lot to me, and I hope it. some of the people who are listening it does to them. This, in Caesarea, Paul had come back on his third missionary journey and spent time in Caesarea, and this is where he met Philip and his daughters. Uh, this is where Agabus would come up and lay hands on his belt and say, the man who wears this is going to have trouble in Jerusalem. And now, guess what? He's back in Caesarea in safety, Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, now, what's so interesting, we get into Acts 24, uh, 
Ananias, the high priest, ascended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. Now, so they, they've hired a public speaker. Now, I don't know if Tertullus was part lawyer, part, uh, you know, orator, speechmaker, but they want to make sure that in a very impressive and compelling way that they get what they want. And again, let's remember uh, Ananias and uh, the religious professionals. I mean, they wanted Jesus executed, and they insisted till they got that. Bert, whenever I see people that are committed to um, their ideology rather than truth, I mean, we're, we're seeing that now. Uh, a lot of issues are on the table nowadays that one of the kids at one of our camps, uh, this was precious. This was back in Colorado about a month and a half ago. We did a camp, and a young man said, our teachers at school have to tell us things that I think deep down they don't even believe it themselves. Uh, well, we're living in, a, in an age, just like in the first century, when truth is uh, substituted for oratory. Um, and, and they've got somebody to help deliver these charges against Paul. They do, and again, uh, I, I can't help but notice uh, he pours it on. Uh, let's let me read this. Oh, I this. know, yes. <laughs> okay, he go, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Now, I'm telling you, this guy is poured it on saying, Felix, uh, you know, uh, you're the great guy, and we we want you to know, if you want this peace and prosperity to continue, you better do what we're asking you to do. Do you think he's saying that a little bit, Alex? Uh, I will not further be tedious unto you, but I pray <laughs> that you would hear. Uh, folks, you've got to read ahead in Acts 24, but what we're going to do when we get back, we'll take calls and questions on the, this edition of Exploring the Word. Folks, stay with us. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're so glad you could join us today, and we're taking phone calls. We want to fill this last segment with as many phone calls as we can. We got your Bible questions, that number, and we have lines that are open. So make that call right now, 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. We want to hear your Bible question right now. Alex? Where do you want to go to first? Well, we're going to go to Arkansas, and Glenda in Arkansas. Welcome, Glenda. You're the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Um, hey, it's Brenda. Brenda. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Brenda, I'm yeah. sorry. Brenda, welcome. Yes, it, it, it's fine. Thank you for taking my call. I actually have called in before about this question, but I'm not settled with it in my heart and my mind yet. But um, 
I'm questioning the the day when we die. Um, the Bible says the Second Corinthians five eight to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, and I take that, and in it, I've read the King James version as well. And when I read the King James version, to me, that's saying that that's our wish. That's we are willing rather to be absent from the body. We want to. We'd rather be not in this body, but with the Lord. And then my other question is um, about the coming of the Lord and the rapture. Are those two separate events? Because I read. Um, Second Thessalonians two verse one, and then Second Thessalonians two verse three, and it just tells me different. It just you know, do not be deceived by any means, for that day shall not come a, come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. So, to me, that takes off the the rapture for me. So, I feel like we will be here for the tribulation and. Um, and we won't be raptured until the day of the Lord. And I just, I want to get clarification and I don't mind just hanging up and um, listen to you on the radio. Okay, Brenda, thank hmm. you so much. Sorry about having, calling your name wrong. We're glad you helped us know that. Let me go with the first one first, Alex. Uh, there's evidence, Brenda, of, of the person being with the Lord. To, uh, Jesus told the thief on the cross today, you will be with me. Now, that is the mm. important part. Paradise, I, I just want to, I don't mean to sound like this is unimportant, but paradise is secondary to being with the Lord. Wherever he is, that's where we'll be. And every time, Brenda, you see Jesus after his ascension into heaven and he's talking, you'll find the saints with him. The saints with him will be with the Lord forever. And so there's evidence of that uh, over and over again. The baby that that David, even in the Old Testament, David said, uh, you can't come back to me, but I'll go to you. That's in the presence of the Lord. So there's not a soul sleep. There's no position of soul sleep. But the reason it says asleep in the New Testament is because of the peace that we have as believers, even at death that we are with the Lord. Alex, would you add to that, and would you go about the rapture and the second coming? Uh, well, you know, in Philippians one twenty three, Paul says, um, you know, I'm in a strait b- between two things, to be with you all or to depart and be with Christ. Uh, depart meaning to die and be with Jesus. So uh, I definitely think, like the caller mentioned, Second um, Corinthians 5, uh, 6 through 8, that when we die, we are instantly present with the Lord. Uh, she also mentioned about Bible prophecy, and, um, you know, we uh, don't recommend all that many books, but let me say a good writer to read on Bible prophecy is a guy a wonderful guy, and when I was president of a seminary, he taught for me, Ron Rhodes, uh, R-H-O-D-E-S. Bert, have you ever heard of Ron Rhodes? I sure have. Yes, I have, Alex. He is a great scholar, uh, in my opinion, a very trustworthy scholar, and he's written um, one book he wrote that might be helpful, uh, The End Times in Chronological Order, and it's an overview of prophecy, and I do believe in the rapture before the seven-year tribulation, Bert. We, 
um, often talk about the premillennial position. Rapture, then, I'm not being flippant here, but hell on earth breaks loose. Mm-hmm. The seven-year tribulation, battle of Armageddon, the return of Christ, uh, the millennium, then eternity proper. But um, there are a lot of good writers. One really great writer that died a couple of years ago, he was the man that preached my ordination sermon uh, years ago, Dr. Harold Wilmington, uh, W-I-L-L-M-I-N-G-T-O-N, Dr. Harold Wilmington. He wrote a number of good books on Bible prophecy. One is called The King is Coming. Um, But, you know, the the big thing, and I, I realize there's so many details on prophecy, but Christ is coming back, and it's it's going to all work out, you know. Bert? It is, Alex. Way to say that. And and again, you look at the details, and and I, I agree. I'm with Alex. I would say I'm 99% sure. Hey, uh, I I love one of your mentors. Uh, you know, Chuck Colson. He oh, said yeah. he said not everybody's right about everything, and he said, and I know the reason. We're human. And, you yeah. know, and, and I, I think that's true as best we can, Alex, and I believe that. But if we're wrong and we do go through, quote, the tribulation, and then we're caught up with the Lord to be the Lord forever, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us, Alex. That is the promise we carry. We need to be ready, and we need to know he's with us always to the end of this age. He's with us, isn't he? He really is. One last book, uh, David Jeremiah, and my goodness, uh, David Jeremiah is a wonderful teacher, very, very trustworthy. He wrote a book called The Prophecy Answer Book, and I recommend it. Uh, God bless you. Let's go to Arkansas, still in Arkansas, Jim. Uh, Jim in yes. Arkansas. Welcome. Thanks for holding. Yes, I've called before, and I'm going to call again, because every time <laughs> I get excited, I have a call. Let me tell well, you. If We're glad to hear from you. As I do about the book of Acts, you know, in first chapter, Christ goes to heaven. Second chapter, the tongues come out and they just go crazy. But let me tell you, you were talking about paradise. Here's my paradise. When I gave my life to Christ 27 years ago, I was barely on the back pew of the church. But today, because I work with Christ and he works with me, I get up in front of him. And he breathes on me, and I feel his breath on my face. That's paradise. Amen, <laughs> amen. That's it, Jim, amen. in the presence of the Lord. that Listen, he does not leave us comfortless. He does not leave us as orphans. He has sent his Holy Spirit to be in us. And what a joy. We've got a little bit of heaven here upon earth and, and his presence in our life. By the way, all those books that you gave, Alex, uh, Brent is putting them on Facebook, so if all those, they didn't able to write those down, uh, they can go to a, uh, to Exploring the Word Facebook, and they can find them. Amen. Amen. Well, that's great. Uh, Jim, did you get your thought in? Yes, he did. Go ahead. Next. Okay. All right. We're going to go to Shirley in Kansas. I'm going to be in Wichita, Kansas later. Shirley, thanks for holding. Welcome. Shirley, you there? Hey, Shirley. Okay, we're going to go to Barbara in Louisiana. Barbara, are you there? Huh? Yes, Barbara. Enjoy. Yes. Welcome. Do you have a question for us? 
we've lost everybody. We don't know exactly why. Uh, okay. Uh, let well, me uh, let see. Me give the- Barb- Barbara's question, how do you minister to a 90-year-old? You know, uh, Alex, the oldest person that I know that I've uh, that's been saved, me talking with them, helping them come to the Lord, and then baptizing them was an 86-year-old lady. And uh, so their mind is clear. Uh, if they need salvation, they're saved the same way. They need to be there. But if they are saved, I, I've noticed this. Sometimes uh, as you get older, uh, they'll wonder, Lord, uh, am I right with you? As they face death, they're saying, okay. And and so what you want to do is read, make sure as best you can, share with them the confidence that you have in Jesus Christ. Do they have that confidence? Then he will stay with you always, even when you're thinking's not clear when your body is given away he's there isn't he alex when you know him yeah he is there and you know um it's been my joy to be around a lot of older people i bird i grew up and uh my grandfather and grandmother live with us and then both grandmothers you know uh lived uh with us growing up remember how on the waltons they would say you know good night john boy and everything that was kind of like how we grew up that was the mcfarland family huh (laughs) on the farm yeah but um older people are a treasure they they really are let me encourage everybody first of all we're talking about ministering to older people um make time make time to be around the older people in your life or maybe in your church or in your neighborhood, because uh, I've always loved elderly people because they have they've got so much wisdom, and so many decades of experiences. And you know, I, I've often thought when an elderly person passes, there's a whole life of knowledge and wisdom that passes with them, doesn't it, Bert? It really does. I want to tell this story. We got people. We're trying to get you back online, uh, on the phone lines. But Jan's grandmother, she was in the hospital. I think at this time she was 91. And uh, she is always a servant. She always was working with her hands and feeding her family, doing those things. And she wasn't able to do that anymore. And she was kind of feeling like useless that that she wasn't there. And so I went to with her and uh, to talk to her. And she said, pray that I'll get to go home. So I prayed that she would get better and be able to go to her home. I went back the second time. She instructed me. That's not the home I'm talking about. <laughs> mm, <laughs> she wow. said, I'm ready to go to heaven. And so I praise the Lord that you can come to the place in your life when you know there's something waiting on you that's far better. So, Alex, mm. we got people back online. You ready to take a phone call? Let's try this again. Veronica in Texas, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi. Yes, so I am my chariot, my friend that is a non-believer, was in church with me Sunday and said she could feel the Holy Spirit strengthening strengthening her. But the Holy Spirit is like wind, right? It moves through. The only time it stays within a non-believer is that they pray to receive Christ and have the Holy Spirit dwell inside them. How do I explain, or is my theology wrong, or can you ex- explain how I can explain the Holy Spirit? Okay. Go God, ahead, God bless you, Veronica, and thank you for bringing unsaved people under the sound of the gospel. You, you know, God's Holy Spirit draws us and makes us aware. Uh, the, wor- the real word is, is conviction. People come under conviction 
because God is drawing them and making them aware of their need for Jesus. And I think you're very correct um, that once a person accepts Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells them from that point on. And it sounds like she does understand the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Bert, don't you agree? It really does. And, and what happens, though, even lost people, in a service where the Holy Spirit's presence is, there's a sense of him, not in them, but a sense of being surrounded by by godliness. Now, Alex, I've seen that happen a lot, and I think that may have been what uh, Veronica's friend experienced. Yet, but the Holy yeah. Spirit of God, that sets them up really well for the Holy Spirit of God to convict them of sin when that happens. So I praise God for that. Go ahead. Amen. You, you know, we should establish a tradition, a take an atheist to church Sunday. <laughs> wow. Because there, there's something very self-authenticating of being in church. People are praising God, singing. Um, I've had a few unbelievers tell me that, you know, we think our evidence and our presentation is very key. The experience of being in a good church is very compelling. It, it really is. is. I agree. Uh, Katie, in Katie, do I have your name correct? There in Mississippi. Yes. Welcome. Hey. Thanks for being on. What you got? Thank you. Yes, sir. Um, so my question would be: um, I was raised in a Christian home all my life, um, and so were my siblings. I have seven siblings. Um, one of my siblings is, I believe, lost, and he, the reason, every time I try to minister to him, he says that he believes he's committed the unforgivable sin, and he's really, he's just struggling with depression and a lot of health issues, and my question would be, how do I minister to him and share the gospel with him, even though he he knows the gospel, but how would I encourage him that you know, he hadn't committed the unforgivable sin, and I guess, how would I, how would I share the gospel with Okay, him? thank you for calling. Kate, let me just share this with you. Maintain that relationship as best you can. Keep praying for him. Keep on talking with him. Let him see the joy in your life. And then, Alex, what would you suggest about, what would you say about the unpardonable sin? Well, you know, just like the article on the Trinity, I'm going to send Brent Austin an article I wrote about what is the unforgivable sin. Because right now, in this age, the only sin that would irrevocably place you beyond the reach of Jesus is to die in a state of unbelief. But if he's alive, uh, he has not yet committed the unpardonable sin. He could be saved if he would turn to Christ. Katie, uh, we're going to be praying. Write Katie's name down put her brother by it in the next 48 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours. Let's be praying for him that he would come to Christ. Thank mm. you, Alex. It's been a great day, brother. It's been a good show, folks. We sincerely appreciate you listening to Exploring the Word. Read on in Acts 24, and good Lord willing, that's where we'll pick it up again tomorrow. May God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.